0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are listening from. This is the voice of A.B. Melchizedek, your servant, serving you all the way from the UK today. Welcome to the... I believe this is the third installment of our second season, just verifying that for a second... Yes, this is a third installment. The first installment we looked at, uh, we introduced the law of Moses at just a high level, at a high level, just a cursory overview, if you would. The second episode, we looked at 20 things the Bible says about the law of Moses. And we did say we would be drawing from those quotations. We will be elaborating on a number of them in the course of this season. Or and possibly in the course of subsequent seasons also. So uh, one thing you can be assured of is those quotations will come up and we will get to dive into the meat of them one after the other as they come up so today we are going to be looking at the purpose of the law why did god give the law and at this point some of us are thinking i mean it's so straightforward the law is supposed to be kept or the law was given to be kept yes i agree with you 100 percent the law was given to israel so that they could keep it i believe it's deuteronomy the 32nd chapter and this is the 39th verse now, where Moses was telling them, it's not a vain thing that I'm telling you for uh, to keep the law. It is for your life. It's not a vain thing to keep the law. It is for your life. So, Israel, we are giving the law to keep the law. But that is as far as they knew in the Old Testament. You know, it's when the New Testament comes that we are now able to look at everything in perspective. For example, one of the verses we quoted during the last episode, or some of the verses we quoted Uh, was to the effect that the law is supposed to be temporary. We quoted, I believe, is Galatians 3.24, that says, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. When Christ has come, we are no longer in need of His schoolmaster. We quoted Hebrews 8, towards the end, where He said, what is in that He says a new covenant that will make with them in those days. He has made the former old. Now what is old is obsolete and waxing away. We saw Second Corinthians, the third chapter. Uh, verse, if you take it from 11 to 14, thereabouts, where it was saying... Moses did not say, having such hope, we speak with plainness of speech, not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that they could not see the end of that which was passing away. And he said, if the ministry of condemnation was glorious, and he says, if that which is passing away was glorious, so much more, that which remains, is glorious. But the people under the law had no idea the law was supposed to be temporary. They had no idea what the end goal was. But until you shine the light of the Gospel of the Old Testament, it doesn't make sense. So that is why the atheist, for instance, would bash and bash and bash and bash the Old Testament and laugh at it and make a mockery of it. That's because they have no idea what the gospel is. They have no idea. And without the gospel, your perspective on the Old Testament will be skewed. But again, that's a topic for later in the season but for our purposes suffice it to say that now the gospel has come now we have new testament commentary on the old testament we are able to look back and accurately point out the purpose of the law so the law pointed to Jesus Christ. We've seen that from verses earlier quoted. John five forty-six, John fifth chapter, forty sixth verse. Jesus says, If you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me John first chapter 45th verse We start from 43, just for a bit of context. It says, The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Verse 45, Peter, found, uh, Philip rather, found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law. And also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So we are beginning to establish from these portions of scripture that Jesus was written about in the law. But then when you look at the law, all you see is, thou shalt, thou shalt not, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. So how, what is the correlation between thou shalt not and thou shalt, and the revelation of Jesus Christ? So let's pause there. Because we are going to take a detour, and then at the end, we will answer that question and tie it up nicely. So don't worry, I've not forgotten the question. Just make a mental note somewhere. Let's go to the New Testament. And listen to Paul explain to us why the law was given. Romans, the third chapter. And just for context, we are going to start from verse 10. Slightly, it's not a short read, so I'll just try to run over it so we get the, to save time rather. Romans third chapter, mm. let's start from, let's start from verse nine. Okay, you know what? Let me just verbally tell you the context because the more I <laughs> want to start from somewhere to give context, the more I see more context that needs to be given. But don't take my word for it; read it. So, what he's saying is, um he started by laying uh, a foundation in verse two, in chapter two, rather, of Romans as to how god is just or how the judgment of god is righteous both on the jew and on the gentile and that the jews were making a boast as to the fact that they are circumcised but that they are not keeping the law which is supposed to be the pride of their circumcision so they were saying look we are circumcised according to the law but this law they claim to be circumcised according to under it they are found wanting so he's saying circumcision is profitable if you keep the law that's 225 of romans But if you break the law, whether you are circumcised or not, you are automatically as bad as somebody who is not circumcised. That was his point to the Jews. So he starts in verse 3 by saying, what advantage does the Jew have? That The advantage of the Jew is that they were the first people God committed his word to. And where he's going, in essence, is that even that because of that fact, and this is a brief detail, not relevant to our point, but good for uh, discourse anyway. That as a result of that, salvation had to come to the Jews first. You know, if you read Romans 1:16 to 17, it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for them that believe to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. If you read Acts three twenty six, it says, "Because God, uh, you are the sons of the uh, people to whom God has spoken these things. To God, uh, having raised His Son Jesus Christ, has sent Him first to you." That's why Jesus, when He was ascended, Acts first chapter eight verse, He says, They should be His witnesses first in Judea, then in Samaria." Then to the ends of the earth. Why Judea and Samaria first? Jew to Gentile. That's the order. Now that's irrelevant for our purposes anyway, but just good for discourse and it's uh, quite a nice point to tie into there. But he was still on this matter of the law. And then after talking about himself you know he was saying some people were perverting his gospel you see that in romans 3 7 to 8 and they were saying look what he's saying is let us do evil so that good will come that's what they were saying that he's preaching you know that if jesus has died we can live how we want and all that all that kind of stuff there's we cannot be lawless because of that So let us do evil so that good will come. That's his summary he gave his gospel. And then he said, look, that such people, their condemnation is just, or the judgment that God will judge them by is just. But then he says, look, uh, is he better than those people he's talking about? And then we pick it up from 3.9. He says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And then he goes ahead to quote a truckload of Psalms. And then we jump to verse 19. He says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before god therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin so the reason for the law was to find the whole world guilty and look at the kind of things it says the law says to those under it Romans 10, 11 to 18. I will just give some highlights. Since there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one their feet are swift to shed blood destruction and misery are in their ways there is no fear of god before their eyes so the law is accusing those on it of all these things so the law was given not to make you righteous but to bring your guilt to your attention This is why whenever you try to keep the law, the Ten Commandments, you always find yourself feeling guilty. You always find yourself falling short. That, my friend, is the law doing its job. That's what he was given for. That's why Paul says, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. You can't justify yourself based on the law that was given to find you guilty. The moment you come under the law, you acknowledge your guilt, so there is no justification by a system of laws specifically designed to find you guilty. And this agrees with Romans 5, 13 to 14. You know, there are some books of the Bible we just don't read. We enjoy stories. Oh, let's read about Jonah. Oh, let's read about this. Oh, let's read about that. There's nothing wrong with reading stories, you know. But these parts of the Bible that tend to be very boring. That's where the good stuff is oh let me not say that tend to be very boring that people tend to think are very boring you know nobody likes reading romans nobody likes reading hebrews and galatians and all those grammar paul is speaking but if you don't read some nuggets some truths the most powerful liberating truths of christianity are in those verses romans is the magna carta of christianity so romans 5 13 to 14. Oh, I start from 12 for context. Now, again, I, I don't know. I just hope we won't spend the entire time going through context. But context is just so key in this particular, you know, area because What tends to happen a lot of the time is people quote from these verses, but never in context, you know, people who preach law and all those things, they quote from these verses, but never in context. So you can't really see what it's saying. That's why I keep harping and harping on context. Now, the context here is Paul. I mean, he used the whole of Romans 4 to talk about justification by faith, which is something... We would look at perhaps next season of this series or something, but we would look at that. That's another. That's worthy of another season on its own. So after talking about that, he now starts talking about what Christ has done. You know, he uses verse four to say chapter four to say we've been justified by faith. Then he starts five verse one that says, you know, having been. Uh, Uh, says we have peace having been justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ and then he starts saying if when we were sinners god loved us enough to die for us how much more now that he has died for us once we be reconciled to him and then he starts drawing this comparison between adam and jesus christ And then it starts in verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. So how did sin come into the world? One man. How has righteousness come into the world? One man. So just as you are a sinner because you were born a sinner by Adam, you become righteous because you are born again in Jesus Christ. Well, we've covered that extensively in the first season, so we won't harp on that again. But verse 13 states something that is very interesting. It says, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law nevertheless death reigned from adam to moses even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of adam who is a type of him who was to come so he's saying that sin existed before the law but sin was not imputed before the law so people were doing certain things which we which uh, people were doing certain things which qualifies as a sinful act but because there was no law from god to acquaint them with sin it was not held against them for instance, Jacob married two sisters. He married Leah and he married Rachel. But then, why don't right you get to Leviticus? The law says you should not marry two sisters, and so that is wickedness. But Jacob did this thing, he didn't know. There was no law against it, so it was not held against him. Israel, before the law, if you if you if you read the story of Israel coming out from Egypt, they murmured and murmured and murmured against God. Nothing happened. You know they murmured, "Oh, we miss Egypt. If we could go back." You want to kill us? You want to kill us? God passed the Red Sea for them. He said, "You know, you part the Red Sea. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Now we are hungry. We are hungry. God gave them bread." oh we are in the wilderness we are dying we are dying we are dying we are thirsty god gave them water but the moment the law came once they murmured they died (laughs) the moment the law came they murmured plague immediately they murmured death immediately that's why First Corinthians 10.10, 10, it says, don't murmur like they murmur that we are destroyed by the destroyer. So the moment law was given, things that we are doing and we are getting away with before the law started having dire consequences, morbid consequences. So the issue was, man was sinful, but did not know how sinful he was until God gave the law. So we now see that the law was not given to make you a better person. It was given to reveal your sin. Because the law partnered with your sinful nature. To produce sin in you. Romans, the 7th chapter. And the 5th verse. It says, for when we were in the flesh. And if you have paid attention to the previous series, you know when the book of Romans talks about flesh, it talks about the law. And if you even read Romans 7, the whole of Romans 7, you would know the context is the law. It starts with, Or oh, do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law. That the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. So flesh in the book of Romans is talking about the law. Spirit is talking about the new covenant. That Jesus' blood, death and resurrection on the work he did, his finished work brings. So it says, when we were in the flesh, Romans 7, 5, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. Hmm. So you had sinful passions already, but the law aroused them the law brought it to your attention and now because the law has revealed sin and the gravity of sin and the punishment for sin you become liable to punishment under the law so that punishment your punishment becomes worse You know, there's a part in Romans that says that sin may become exceedingly sinful. 7 verse 13. It says, Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it may appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold on that sin. So what Paul is saying here is, there is nothing wrong with the law. The law is not a bad thing. It is a fantastic thing. It is God's holiness. It's God's standard. So the law is great. The issue is the law was given to carnal men who are sinful. Paul said, Sold on that sin. And the law and sin cannot coexist. Once there is a sin, there must be a death. Either your death or you bring an animal to die in your place. The issue with the law was not the law, it's the man it was given to. So because the men it was given to could not keep it, it started walking death in them. So the law is a good thing. But then where there is a law, your sinful passions are aroused. And then sin, in conjunction with the law, produced death. So do you see why Paul was calling it the law of sin and death? He says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So practical example, for instance, Paul gives us an example. He says i would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet but sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire for apart from the law sin was dead notice sin was there but it was inactive it has always been there so the moment that commandment comes Thou shall not covet, a desire, a latent sinful desire to covet, which has always been there, is revealed to you. I will give you a practical example in the story of the children of Israel. Do you notice it was immediately that commandment that said, have no other God before me came, that Israel thought of idolatry? It had always been in them to build a golden calf to worship, but they didn't know. But the moment that law came, first law, have no other God before me. Don't make any graven image. Immediately those laws came. What was the first thing they did? Exodus 32, they went to Aaron. Make us a golden calf that we may worship it. That is the law bringing sinful desires and potential um, evil behavior to the fore. That is what the law is. in fact by the time you go to romance i'm coming i just need to look for i need to look for this reference now i think it's Chapter 5. I think it's chapter 5. Yep. if by the time you go to Romans 5, verse 20, it tells you, it says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. So <laughs> and I mean this is Bible here. Feel free to read it at your own leisure so you can see it with your own eyes i'm not making this up but this is the bible telling you that the law came so that sin will multiply you see it's counterintuitive we think where you preach the law where you where the law comes it regulates you know brings people in line so that they don't sin no paul is saying that the law entered that the offense might abound romans 5 verse 20. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Which, again, that's irrelevant for the, for our purposes. But it's just saying that just the way that the law came in, so that sin will abound, but that in place of that sin abounding, the grace of God covers it more. That is, this new covenant of grace pours out grace lavishly. Far, far more than the law costs sin to multiply. That's the that's the whole idea here. But my point is you're saying the law entered that the offense might abound. Now, the interesting thing is if you look at the word enter as used there, it's used in only one other place in Scripture. Galatians 2, verse 4. The, the Greek word for enter is used in Romans 5.20 is only used in Galatians 2, verse 4. That's the only other place it's used in Scripture. And what does Galatians 2, verse 4 says? say? Again, the context is not important here, but let's just read. I just want to save time. It says, And this occurred because of false brethren, secretly brought in, who came in by stealth. You see that word, came in by stealth? That's the same Greek word used for entered in Romans 5.20. It is a Greek word, and sorry if there are any Greek people listening to this, I'm going to butcher this word. But it's the Greek word, pare sekomai. Pare sekomai and it means to enter secretly, or to come in from the side, or to come in privately. Or to enter. So, what you get from this is that the law, subtly, that this purpose of making sin abound was a very subtle, stealthy purpose of the law. It was very subtle, very obvious, a very, um, very unobvious, rather softly sort of, very softly it just came in quietly and the whole purpose of this was that sin should abound so it is when you now look at this That you now understand some of those things we were quoting yesterday, um, during the last episode, rather. Where it says that by law is the knowledge of sin. And this is too important, I can't stress this enough, that law is the knowledge of sin it's not the knowledge of god the knowledge of god is in the gospel john 17 3 says this is life eternal jesus speaking this is life eternal that they may know you the true god and jesus christ whom you have sent paul speaking second corinthians 4 4-6 says For our gospel is he, is he to them that are lost in whom the god of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not lest the gospel of christ which is the image of god to shine unto them says god who caused lights to shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to cause the light of the knowledge of his glory in the face of christ jesus so the knowledge of god is in the gospel But in the law, all you get is the knowledge of sin. So the law makes you sin conscious. The law makes you guilty. The law arouses your sinful passions. So, the moment you hear, don't do this, everything in you wants to do it. You know, I remember when I was in primary school then, um, just from nowhere, you know, my teacher had forgotten what brought 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 that question up, you know, and that was before the whole world became woke and, and anti-Jesus Christ, you know? Somebody raised a question about judgment day or the rapture and stuff. I've forgotten. From nowhere, anyway. It was not like it was a Christian religious knowledge class or anything. And then my teacher answered. He said, after answering the question, he added one little statement. He said, You know, God forgives every sin except insulting the Holy Spirit. And I kid you not for close to a year after that statement I literally spent the amount of time I spent doing this is surreal but I just kept going the holy spirit is not mad the holy spirit is stupid not the holy spirit is crazy and foolish not not the holy spirit is not a fool the holy spirit is that was what it was crazy and you know at some point i just finally <laughs> finally had to make matters worse ah god bless pastors you know we're always living near pastors we had a neighbor who i think of the five to six neighbors we had as tenants i think they were all pastors. You know, it's when we finally moved into our own house, and for the first time, we have a in a, a neighbour that is not a pastor. They were always pastors. So I remember feeling at some point that you know what I think I've committed this unforgivable sin, and I sent sent and I sent a text message to one of to my pastor. Then it was downstairs, and I went, "Does God forgive?" you for insulting the holy spirit and i will never forget that response he just came back saying no sin against the holy spirit will be forgiven <laughs> and they quoted mark three <laughs> and that just led to a, a time of my life i started reading the book of revelation to see how hellfire is to prepare for my going there because i was so sure i was going to hellfire Yeah, you know? but again that's just nonsense and that's what you get when uh, you know they call you pastor pastor and you 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 know you don't you don't you don't properly study the word of God and stuff and but anyway I digress so the point I was making is that um the moment there is a law your sinful passion now finally has something to hold on to to reveal itself or to bring itself to the surface and this is why the disciple, the Pharisees never liked Jesus at all because he told them so look your boast is you've never committed adultery if you looked at it if you've looked at a woman lustfully <laughs> That's the same thing. You know, so he kept igniting those there, you know, he brought the law to its fullest standard, where he was judging every sin, even the sins of the heart. That's why when they brought that woman to him, he said, whoever is without sin, according to this same law, you are insisting this woman be judged by, cast the first stone. You know, some people say that uh, Jesus received revelation about their sin. I strongly believe he did not. What I believe is that he knew the reason the law was given. And that is what he used against those Pharisees that brought that adulterous woman to him. There is nobody that will stand in presence of the law and say he has kept it all. Nobody. Acts 7.53, Stephen talking to the israelites he said you have received the law by the ministry of angels but you haven't kept it john 7 19 jesus stood presence of how many thousand jews he said none of you keeps the law (laughs) galatians 6 i strongly believe it's 13 Paul said, as many of them that want to make a show of you, they will say you should be circumcised in the flesh. But not even them that are circumcised keep the law. Nobody was keeping the law. Nobody keeping the law could say he has a clear conscience towards God. Because the law is the knowledge of sin. The law ignites and arouses your sinful passions. The law brings your evil desires to the fore, Ultimately producing death. The law condemns you. Makes you guilty before God. That's why nobody is justified by it. So having said this, it now begs the question, what is the point? Why then give the law if if I can't keep it? Why are you giving me the law? If all this law would do is make me feel guilty and make me feel condemned, why are you giving me the law? if all it will do is make me want to sin why are you giving the law if the effect is having is to multiply sins and offenses and by the way do you now see why paul said the strength of sin is the law first corinthians 15 verse 56 the strength of sin is the law But what is the point? Why all this? Why was it given? And this is the point. Remember that question we asked at the beginning? The correlation between Dowsha and knots and the revelation of Jesus Christ is about to be answered now. For as long as you keep the law, I'm going to read your experience to you. And that is from Romans 7th chapter, 15th verse. I'll read from 15 to 24. This will be your experience for as long as you strive to keep the law. For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the Lord that it is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find, for the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil I will to do that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So he's saying, "Look, I know what I'm doing is wrong. I know I'm not supposed to be doing this. You know. So if I know I'm not supposed to be doing this, I'm agreeing with the law that I'm not supposed to be doing this. But internally, internally, I'm I'm so bent on living for God. I'm so bent on keeping this law, but my body will just not let me." And then verse 24, it says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is what the law wants to achieve in every man. Bringing you to that point that you know you are so wretched, you know you are so sinful, and that you need to be delivered from yourself. that you need deliverance you need a savior and then verse 25 says i thank god through jesus christ our lord that is where jesus comes in so you've tried to keep the law and you keep failing and failing and you find yourself guilty you find yourself condemned you find yourself frustrated you find yourself crying out that is that is the Lord doing its job that is the job of the law to get you to the point you know you can't keep it and you are doomed and you need a savior so then with the mind I serve the law of God but with the flesh the law of sin so as long as you continue to be in the flesh you continue to try to keep the law sin will have dominion over you remember that passage we quoted in the last um, episode Romans 6 chapter 14 verse sin will not have dominion over you for you are not under law so as long as you remain under law sin continues to have dominion over you that's why it says with the flesh the law of sin as long as you continue to be fleshly to, you continue to try to be to abide by the law. Sin will always rule over you. So the solution is in the cross of Jesus Christ. So that's why it says Galatians. Uh, Galatians says the law was our schoolmaster, it was our tutor to bring us to Christ. So the law is to reveal your sinfulness and to reveal your need for a Savior. And that is what brings you to Jesus Christ. So whenever you look at the cross and see Jesus dying, you see the penalty for sin. When you see his blood dripping on that cross, when you see him dejected, spat on, humiliated on that cross. When you see him yell, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When you see all that happen, you see the gravity of sin. Because the law has shown you the depth of your sinfulness. The cross shows you the depth of God's grace. That that punishment, that overwhelming punishment, that death, that is rightfully yours for as long as you continue to try to keep the law. For as long as you remain under sin. Under the dominion of sin. For as long as you continue to despise the price that was paid for your salvation. As long as you see the cross, you see the punishment for it. And you see the depth of God's grace in bearing all of that in the person of his son, in the body of his son. And then you now comprehend the magnitude of salvation that was wrought. You see what Jesus has saved you from by that death. That is why the gospel is everything to a man who has tried to keep the law. When he gets hold of the gospel he doesn't let it go he doesn't despise that price that Jesus paid he doesn't joke with Jesus a man that understands the gospel will never joke with Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ did not joke with his salvation So in conclusion, the strength of sin is the law. The law is the knowledge of sin. Keeping the law does not justify a man because the law is supposed to find a man guilty and to ensure he stands condemned before God. But in all of this, the chief purpose of the law was to reveal the gravity of sin, was to make man acquainted with his sinful nature, one reveal the gravity of sin and then reveal his need for a savior. And that savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 121, you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people, from their sins. On this note, I say thank you very much for your attention. Remember, life is short. In the context of eternity, nothing matters except what you do for God, what you do for the Lord Jesus Christ, what you do for the gospel. Take care.